Hey there, I'm Jarrell Cardoza, and welcome to Inside Intercom. As a product marketer at Intercom, I'm constantly thinking about how people buy business software and ways to build awareness, consideration, and trust with your customers. That's why I'm excited about today's episode with Ryan Benici, CMO of G2, which you may also know as G2 Crowd. If you're not familiar with G2, it's the ultimate review site for business software, with more than 500,000 user reviews of more than 65,000 software products. Its mission is to make buying business software as easy as buying consumer products, all by connecting buyers with feedback from actual users of the software. Ryan joined G2 a little more than a year ago as its CMO, after years leading marketing teams at HubSpot, Salesforce, and Microsoft. In our conversation, we touched on the changes he sees in the way that people buy software today. The SaaS and the tech world is sort of going through a bit of an evolution in the similar way to maybe like how cars and car selling went through. Previously, the only way you could learn about a new car was by going into the showroom, speaking to a sales rep, getting sold. No one likes that process. How a brand moves from being transactional to being a trusted partner. How do we start to you know do a better job i think at like asking people what problem they're trying to solve because companies do do a good job at marketing different categories of tools and why their tool is the best one but oftentimes buyers don't really know what it is that they're trying to solve or whether or not that software will solve it and last but not least the things he's been learning as the cmo of a fast-growing startup i think where most like leaders don't spend enough time once their team is like bigger and more mature is around actually recruiting. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if so, check out other interviews we've done by going to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice. Let's jump into the studio. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Ryan. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you've had a bit of a non-traditional career path. Can you tell us a bit about how you got started in marketing? Yeah. Well, I was just actually always one of those weird kids that knew that they wanted to be a CMO. I like legitimately, I think at like the age of 10 was like, I'm going to be a CMO before 30 as well. I don't know why I wanted a weird time frame like that. But yeah, I always kind of knew that I loved like advertising and marketing and growth and storytelling When I was younger, I didn't work too hard at school in my early years. And then in years 11 and 12 of high school in Australia, something just kind of like flicked in my head and I really studied hard and got a really good grade. And then I started university basically and did about a year of it. And I was kind of burnt out. I think like two years of that hardcore high school getting really good grades just broke me a little bit. And so during the break after year one of university, I just randomly applied for some jobs and one of them was to be an international flight attendant with Qantas and I, yeah, I got through all the interviews, became an international flight attendant and then did that for a couple of years while also studying remotely and, Uh and yeah, and then I kind of, um, so I always then knew I wanted to get back into marketing. That was a plan. That was what I was studying even. But when I was at, yeah, I was flying on a plane one day as a flight attendant and then I met an executive at Microsoft who told me that they were bringing on board like a a new bunch of like younger employees. And Microsoft typically doesn't hire people out of college. It's typically either, sorry, you enter like either straight out of college or you enter with like 10 plus years experience. Sure. So it's quite hard to get in young typically. 
Yeah. And so I kind of went through that interview process. There were like thousands of applicants and then they kind of got it down to a hundred and we all went in for like a full day of interviews and long story short, yeah, started my marketing career at Microsoft and Very cool. on consumer marketing. So less B2B and now I'm obviously in more of a B2B role. Yeah, that's 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 really cool. So so we fast forward a little bit. You get your start at my at at Microsoft, and you've had a couple stops in between. So you've been in your role as CMO at G two Crowd for just over a year now. How would you describe what G two Crowd is and the value it provides to its users? Sure. So G two com, formerly uh, G two Crowd, we recently just kind of changed our name and our website. We're basically the world's biggest business marketplace. So we help buyers of software, of services, find the best vendors or the best sellers of the products that they need. So we're kind of like a, interestingly, um, I don't know, I've never thought of it this way, but we're almost like a bit of a matchmaker between buyers and sellers. And the reason why I think G2 came about, you know, over the last five years was really because as software has exploded, as software has become like eating the world, there's just too many options. And yeah. that's not a bad thing, but for a, for a buyer that's maybe new to software or new to a category, that can be quite tough. Um, so I think there's like, if I look at like the latest stats on our site, we have probably like 65,000 different software products wow. listed across like, I think about 1,500 different software categories. So there's just a lot out there. And I think for us, what's really important to us is that we, I think, understand as a business that businesses today can't succeed, they can't thrive, they can't reach their potential without software, sure. right? Like, you know, you and I, me right now, like we probably, to get me here, that we probably use 10 different pieces of software to actually get this like interview to happen, right? Right now we have recording software listening to Definitely. us, you know, we're using Google Docs for our notes for the questions. We use Google Calendar to like get scheduling. Yeah. We use Zoom for our first call. We use email. Like there's a lot of software involved that people don't realize. Sure. Um, and so when you're making those decisions as a startup, as a mid-sized company, as an enterprise, the software you actually select can make or break your business. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like overly dramatic, but it's actually kind of true because typically software is expensive. It's not easy to change. And so those small decisions that sometimes people think they're making actually can be the reason why they're they're missing their goals and not hitting their business targets. Sure. And there isn't enough attention on the fact that actually a lot of the time it's because the software isn't right. Now, maybe you ran the wrong strategies as well and you didn't have the right team members or process. All of that is, is definitely a part of it. Mm-hmm. But like software is really that underlying component that you can't do any of your job most of the time today without it. So we, we're really passionate, I guess, about helping businesses kind of digitally transform through software, mm-hmm. but finding the right software because we're not a software company ourselves. We actually don't care what software you use, right? So I'm not sure what video editing software or audio editing software we're using right now, but there's a ton of different ones. And if you came to G2Crowd or G2.com, sorry, I need to get better at that, to look for you know the best video editing or audio editing software you know that we have no incentive to push you down the track of one versus another. We just literally want... Jarrell to use the best software for his business based on what his needs are. Yeah. So we're kind of, yeah, I mean, like we were early on the Yelp for software. So, you know, Yelp to like restaurant reviews, where that to sort of software. But then it's sort of, I guess, evolved over the last few years. And now you can actually 
buy the software through our site as well in some categories, um, as well as actually then optimize your spend. So we acquired a company last year that allows you to connect up all of your software tools to this product. It's called G2 Track. And then as a CFO or as a CMO, I can see like every dollar that my team is spending on software. If the software utilization is good per person, if we're spending more per user on average than our competitors that use the software. So it helps me make better investment decisions around software. Yeah, I mean that. So that was a bit of a long-winded response. No, it's a, it's a wonderful answer, and I think it's really insightful as to to just some of the ways in which you know, kind of a business can emerge and as the landscape shifts when when the way that that companies market or the way that companies sell when it evolves, it creates these kind of opportunities for folks to to solve new needs. Yeah, you know, it, does. it didn't exist before. Totally. That, that there was that much. And, and you know, I think some companies took advantage of this early on, right? There's a few, and I won't name them, analyst firms <laughs> that you know when they saw this shift happening, realized that oh, people need help here. Yeah. Unfortunately, they solve the problem the wrong way, though, by having one analyst that makes the decision and says who is at the top and who is at the bottom is the world's worst way to help people find the right software for their business because every company is different. Every region in the world is different. There are different business models. Like It's not one size fits all. And so I think part of what really drove us in the early days was you know, a lot of the co-founders and myself, like we we've all worked at software companies and we've Mm -hmm. all seen how broken the analyst model is to the point where we have all at some point in our career and you're in product marketing and I know that you've done this. Like (laughs) you have like paid for like time to sit down with an analyst to schmooze him or her on, you know, how great Intercom is and what like is happening. And the more reports you buy, the better your rating goes up and the less, yeah, you you know, this is fact. Like, and the reality, and this is what's super sad for me is that like, most buyers have no clue that that is actually how those grids came about. Sure. They don't realize that it's really based on revenue at the end of the day. And so that's kind of sad to me. And it's funny, like we see a lot of people that come to us after they have bought software based on an analyst's recommendations. It was terrible for their business. And then they then they start to realize that the model's broken and then they become yeah. G2 fans. But a lot of the time, it's not until like they've been burned once that they that they then realize that the, the system that they thought was transparent actually wasn't. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And I, and I love the idea of not naming names, but but there is a grid involved. And mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. I feel like this, this SaaS and the tech world is sort of going through a bit of an evolution in the similar way to maybe like how cars and car selling went through. Yeah. Right? Like you previously, the only way you could learn about a new car was by going into the showroom, speaking to a sales rep, getting sure. sold. No one loves that. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I've never met a person that likes that process. It's sleazy. It's uninformed. You feel like you're being cheated. And I think partly like what we see is, you know, there are some amazing software companies out there. There's, you know, there's tons of amazing software companies that have a really authentic and have a really real buying process. You know, I can say having worked at HubSpot, like and sitting close to sales reps, I very frequently would hear them say if they, if someone said to them, we need X, Y, and Z. And if that sales consultant knew that HubSpot didn't have those functionality, they would Mm -hmm. say, Hey, I don't think the tool is right for you. Here are some other solutions. And they would then disengage. Like to me, that's like really authentic selling. But the reality is most sales reps don't do that because they have really big targets to hit. And so I think we're helping, I guess, kind of create another avenue for people to learn about buying software without needing to go directly to the vendor straight up. Sure. Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting, you know, kind of place to be in when you think about the ways in which consumers are are really using 
something like G2 Crowd to help them make better decisions in a way that's that just didn't exist five or ten years ago. That that just wasn't the way that the the process worked, right? It was it was you go to a vendor site, mm. you land there, you fill out a form, some yeah. SDR calls you, they qualify you. Yeah, you and probably then you get go like this twenty emails process. over the next <laughs> yeah. like week. Like, no, like everyone knows that process, right? Like the demand generation one oh one. And it doesn't really work as much today. Yeah. I mean, you know, cold calling and some of these tactics, like on mass, yes, work, but the conversion rates are horrible. And so, yeah, I think there are newer ways to, to do it. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that episode two of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our chief product officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place for me to start is that technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service. And that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, the earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type of customer experience, it's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time. That's all to come on episode two of Offscript. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now, and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So we talked a little bit about, you know, how many different software products there are out there and how broad sort of this B2B software world is. It strikes me that, that you know, these folks... You know, G2 Crowd pops up, high in search results, really good work by your SEO team. Mm -hmm. So folks land on your website, and you're serving and kind of surfacing information for all kinds of different B2B buyers. And as you mentioned, that through all points of their buyer's journey. I'm curious how you all think about engaging those folks when they get to your site. And specifically, you know, how do segments or personas or your understanding of who the different buyers might be and what they might care about, how does that inform the the kind of website experience or the, the G2 experience that, that you create? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, look, I'd probably only give us like a B plus on that, to be okay. honest. I think we've done a pretty good job at, you know, I think we're, we're an A plus in comparison to competitors on like the data side of the house, you know, and how like valid and trusted and verified all of our data is. We have literally humans verify each review and we've had like almost, like we're getting close to a million verified reviews on our site we deny lots because wow. we can see that like this is coming from a competitor ip address <laughs> like they aren't a real customer but i think in terms of the actual experience itself what we haven't done a great job of is asking people questions so so when someone like comes onto a software category like which category do you sit in on g2 crowd i'm guessing you probably sit in a few different ones <laughs> Like conversational yeah. marketing might be one, website chat might be another. Definitely. Like, let's say that they come there. I mean, immediately when they're looking at, you know, the G2 grid, they could say like, they, they, we ask them additional questions. Like, are you a small, medium, or a large enterprise? Cause, and then if they tell us that, the grid completely customizes now for their size companies. So sure. it'll look at, okay, let's look at only reviews from other companies that look like the person that's on our site. 
because you know the CRM that like enterprises love will be very different from the CRM that small medium businesses like. Yep. So we ask them for like those different data points, and then we personalize our recommendations or our grid personalizes them automatically. I think for us, though, the next step ultimately, there's two kind of next steps. I think that we're really you know driven towards is how do we start to you know do a better job i think at like asking people what problem they're trying to solve mm. because companies do a lot of do, do a good job at marketing different categories of tools and why their tool is the best one but oftentimes buyers don't really know what it is that they're trying to solve or whether or not that software will solve it so you know i think we're really interested in building more kind of guided buying services for our site where you could say hey like my challenge is I am trying to increase like leads yep. or my challenge is that like my sales reps aren't closing deals like at a high enough rate, yep. or, you know, obviously then, then it might be like sales acceleration software is what we recommend. Sure. Or a CFO might come to our site and say every month it is a complete clusterfuck when we close out our books with expenses. Totally. How do we fix that? And, you know, naturally then we would probably recommend like accounting software or yeah. expense management software, but I think so there's that step, I think, is like, you know, being more like problem solution focused in terms of how we kind of guide people through the site. But then I think the other step is, you know, because our users are really loyal in that they, you know, they, anyone that typically comes to our site has all, has or also left a review on our site. Sure. You know, they've seen the value of the data and of the site for helping them choose software. And then after they use that software, they typically then will leave a review which is great for us. I think where we kind of need to take that as a next step is like we have so much data in terms of companies around like, okay, typically companies will on average buy, you know, the first piece of software they'll buy is like an email provider, Gmail or, you know, Microsoft 365 or any of that. And then after they buy that, they typically then decide they need like an internal messaging system. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, 12 months in, they typically then find they need like an internal Wikipedia, an internal blogging tool to share information that's not quick, short, like for an instant message tool, but is more kind of like evergreen that, you know, it might be like, here's our philosophy on why, how we make decisions, like a blog post internally. Yeah. And so we don't really do a good job today yet on once we know what your stack is, recommending like, okay, based on your stack, here are the five tools that integrate best with your existing stack here are the kind of five next tools that people buy typically after these ones and i think that's where we can become less transactional with buyers and we can be much more of that trusted partner that trusted kind of best friend almost that you can just like you know and i do this all the time right like i'll text a cmo or cmos that i respect and i'll be like hey you know i was thinking of buying this software like what's your experience or, hey, like I was thinking of, you know, hiring this person, you're connected with them, like, give me the lowdown. Sure. I won't, like, that won't be enough. That's like just one little data point, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I still like to get those data points, but it's hard to do that for software oftentimes. Yeah. So like the other thing that people don't really realize is when they come to our site, if they log in through their LinkedIn credentials, we now then also recommend and show them their LinkedIn connections and what software they use. So you mm-hmm. can say, hey, like, I want to see what software Ryan uses or has Ryan left a review? Like I'm looking at marketing automation tools. What like tools has Ryan Benici, my LinkedIn connection reviewed? Yeah. Like, and then it's like a little bit more trusted. And then totally. you know that you can then actually reach out to Ryan, me, and then actually like ask a question or get clarification. 
Yeah, I think there's like a lot of like ways we can innovate on the tool and, you know, still early days. So I think the more we can start to kind of build like an ongoing relationship with them. And I think that's where helping them now manage the software that they've purchased sure. and optimize it is is really powerful. Yeah. And that, that idea of, of sort of the relationship being being more than just, you know, sort of generating demand and getting them in the door and, and providing them with an answer, you know, kind of expanding mm. it beyond that. So Ryan, in this new kind of landscape where where tools like G2 exist and and buyers are are sort of educating themselves not on the vendor's uh, website but but actually with tools like like G2, how do how do you think that changes the way that those software providers uh, the, those products and services how does it change the way that their marketing and sales teams need to interact now that folks are landing on their site with a lot more information and really highly educated from folks like you all? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think you know any site really should do what we talked about earlier in the sense of where someone hits you on your site, where, where they drop into the site, if they're dropping into the homepage, you know, if they're coming to the homepage through direct traffic, then that's pretty indicative that they already know a bit about you. If they've mm-hmm. like gone to their browser and actually typed in your URL, if they're coming to a blog post about your company or a, from your content team, then you know that they probably don't know that much if it's just organic traffic coming through and maybe it's yeah. the first time that they've ever visited. So I think it really depends I'm a big believer, though, that like wherever someone is, you always want to have like a flag or a way for them to raise their hand or to move forward in their journey. So an example would be, you know, where you send out when someone subscribes to our blog, you know, they might receive an email once a week with our three or five most popular blog posts from Mm -hmm. that week. But then in the bottom of the email, it'll be a plain text email, really simple. Hey, Jarrell, thanks so much for subscribing to our marketing blog. As we did every week, here are the top five, you know, most popular blogs. Hope you enjoy them. Best, Ryan. And then we'll always have typically a PS line below or something that says, PS, if you'd like to learn more about our software services or something like that, or if you'd like to speak to a sales rep, or if you'd like to test out some of G2's data on the back end, schedule a meeting with us here. So I'm I'm a big believer in not assuming you know where a person is in their journey and allowing them the ability to be able to jump ahead before you assume So that's one thing. But I think there are a ton of different ways. So we see a lot of traffic actually to our site from vendors' sites. So, you know, vendors will be typically, you know, Zoom does this, like Zoom.us, Unbounce do this. They'll have literally on their homepage, it'll say, you know, we are the leader in blah, insert category by 5,000 people on G2 Crowd. Yeah. G2, or G2.com. I really got to get better at saying that. <laughs> um, and then people then click through to go to G2 to learn and they come back. So I think vendors can do a good job at like surfacing, assuming they know where you are at in your journey. Sure. They can surface those data points of social proof and reviews to help then you feel more comfortable or confident about the product or service that you're buying. Yeah. I think on the flip side, though, where companies can do a better job is tracking the traffic sources to their site. Definitely. So an example would be, you know, you have an intercom profile on G2. When someone clicks to learn more, I don't know what, if you're, what, your, what your team did, but most marketers will just put in like intercom.com or they'll put in maybe intercom.com forward slash products. A, a really smart data-driven marketer would put whatever URL they want then a little question mark with a UTM code that says that activates a campaign on that page. And it might then show additional data or it might have a requested demo form or something that's like a further along the lines because you know if they've been on G2 Crowd, they've yeah. clicked through. They're pretty qualified at this point in time. Just like bringing a, in that context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You need to bring that context and have a pop-up for them that only they see because they have that special UTM code. 
So I think like that, they're just some of those like smaller tactics. But I, but I think at the end of the day, with regard to vent, like sellers or businesses and their own sites, I think they just need to do a better job at articulating the value that their product gives to their customers and prospects versus calling out what it is that they do. So Slack does this really well. So does Asana. But like when you hit slack.com, Slack says like, I think they say like where work happens. That's their tagline, right? They don't say, you know, the world's fastest growing chat platform because that doesn't really mean that much. Like, I'm not looking for a chat platform. I'm trying to get work done. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of really, they think through, like, what is the value that people are getting from a chat platform? And that's, I think, one of the big changes that I made even with, like, G2 Crowd, G2 this <laughs> this year, was that, you know, when people come, came to our site, we said the world's most trusted and comprehensive list of B2B software reviews. The tagline might have been something like that, which A, a mouthful, but B, like reviews are a means to an end. Reviews, what helps you buy software, but software is a means to an end. Software helps you, like we talked about earlier, helps you, you know, grow sales or reduce the time to close your month or whatnot. And so, you know, we then made that shift to helping people understand that we help you find the tools and services for your business so that you can reach your potential and, and yeah. hit your goals. I want to transition a little bit to talk a, a little bit more about your role and kind of your day-to-day. Um, it strikes me that that as CMO, you're you're interested in, and obviously intrigued and, and well-versed in all the kind of facets of your team and, and, and broad marketing. But I'm curious how you think about sort of operating in your role on a day-to-day basis to kind of maximize your impact? Are there certain projects that you're deeply involved in while kind of being an approver on others? How do you balance your time and your focus in a way that that kind of keeps moving G2 forward? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, And I wish it was like there was a beautiful like scientific formula for this. (laughs) I think all leaders wish there was a beautiful scientific Um, formula. Yeah, I mean, I think what's been... If I kind of like just think back to when I started early on, I mean, I think the things that helped me get focused were our board. So our board said to me, hey, Ryan, like your three biggest priorities this year are one, like you need to grow traffic and by, like traffic is buyers to our site. Sure. Two, you need to build like a demand generation team to support our sales reps. And then the third one was you need to build and innovate on our brand. So our board made it really clear to me what those three sort of big goals were that I need to achieve. And we're a marketplace, so it doesn't matter how great our sales reps are, how good our product backend is. If we don't have buyers coming to our site, then yeah. the value isn't really there. Similarly, like Airbnb, if you you know wanted to go on sure. and rent a house in Paris and there were no houses, then you know you're going to be screwed, um, or vice versa. And so, I guess I broke out my team and my areas of focus into those sorts of three areas, yeah. and then I had a bit of a goal hierarchy around you know what is the first most important goal, which goal trumps the next. And sure. early on, it was really I was super involved, hands on with like everything because we were building stuff from scratch, and it was really important to me that the team really understood what it was that I wanted them to do and they needed to do because some of the things that were being done previously weren't as effective. So. I think for me, I'm pretty hands-on early on until I start to see that the team gets it. But, you know, I'm a massive fan of productivity tools. I love Asana. It's one of like the core tools that I use with my team. I've used it with all my teams over the last few years. And I I really sort of believe in in using Asana. It helps me be a better manager because there's nothing worse once you become a, a leader and you're disconnected from your team 
And then because you're so hands-off, then whenever you need information, you start to piss people off when you're slacking them sure. and saying <laughs> like, hey, like, where are we at with this project? Give me an update. Like, I need, I need a meeting. And really, you don't realize that everything's actually happening. Everything's all good. And you're just wasting now your team's time and making them panic. So Asana is really great for me, actually, because it helps me actually like click in, double click in to see what everyone's doing. And if I see a project is too far behind or something, then I can, you know, kind of delve into it further, but I don't need to immediately. So that's, I guess, like one of those tools. It's pretty important for me. The only thing I think I would love to add to what I said before, which I forgot to mention, was I think where most like leaders don't spend enough time once their team is like bigger and more mature is around actually recruiting. And I think yeah. for me, like that's, it was easy for me to spend a lot of time on that early days because naturally I had a small team and I needed to fill people. But even then I probably didn't spend as much time as I should have. Like I would oftentimes have not gotten back to like candidate emails or recruiter emails to help me get more people because I was so busy doing. And, yeah. you know, I don't know, hindsight's like a nice thing. I don't know if going back, like if I would have, again, gone back and done more of the job hiring earlier so that I wasn't having to do as much myself. But regardless, I think like when I, when you get to a point where things aren't as chaotic, it's easy to, to become lazy is not the right word, but it's easy to kind of become like just responding to people's emails and helping them do their jobs and not thinking enough about like, actually, I need to keep adding brilliant talent to this team. Every sort of new hire I add to the team, to me, I think what I ask myself is, are they going to increase the team average? Yeah. And if they're not, then I won't hire them. And I I think that was something that my boss at HubSpot, Kip Bodnar, who's a CMO there, and and the old CMO who, who I'm also a big fan of, Mike Volpe, taught me was just that like you don't, the most important thing is other people that you hire. Yeah. You don't want to, like, we would say, like, DFI you. And I remember when I first started my first day at HubSpot in Boston, Mike, like, left a little post-it note on my on my desk and was like, I'm super excited that you're starting. And then it had an acronym below. It was, like, DFI you. And I was like, what does that mean? He was like, don't fuck it up. Like, <laughs> um, But, you know, like, we'd been courting for, like, I don't know, 12 months before I joined. So yeah. I think... He knew that I could do the job. I knew I could do the job as well. But, you know, when you're starting those new relationships with new employees, it's always a bit of a gamble on both sides. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I think for me, I try and spend a lot of my day hiring. Like, I, you know, a beautiful, an ideal day for me is like at least one interview a day minimum. Even if I don't have like urgent roles that I'm hiring for, I'm always meeting with people that do what all of my teams do. Because if there's someone out there that's better like, and should be on the team, like, I want them on the team. Yeah. Okay, so the last question here, and this is one that I'm really excited about. We recently published on the Intercom blog a reading list with influential reads sourced from all across our marketing team. And I was curious, are there any books that have had a significant impact on you and your career that you'd recommend? So, I mean, some of the books I read early on in my career, even I think when I was just a high school, like, big fan of Influence, things called, like, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. It's by a guy called Robert Cialdini. And it kind of like helps you learn sort of like some social psychological like human rules. So things like, you know, reciprocity. So humans like hate to be indebted to someone. So if you can do something to help someone, it will, they will feel indebted to you. So I think like that's a big book that I think anyone in any business should really read to help better understand like humans and themselves. The only other book, sorry, that I'll just mention, and this is like specifically, I think for really important for PR people or for anyone in brand campaign marketing, and it's called Trust Me, I'm Lying Mm. by Ryan Holiday. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, if I'm interviewing a PR candidate and they haven't read that book, like categorically, I'm not hiring them. But that's such an amazing book, I think, for understanding newsjacking and just understanding kind of like the media and how to drive messaging. And it's just very creative um, yeah. and thinks outside the box of the norm. So, yeah, there I guess just some of those books. Oh, that is a, a wonderful uh, set of recommendations and I think a really good spot for us to end. So uh, so in closing, just thank you so much, Ryan, for the time and uh, and all of the great insight. Really, really impressed by by what you've been able to do in your first year at, uh, at yes. G2 and, uh, and looking forward to seeing what you all do next. Thanks, Jarrell. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.